and welcome to another episode of the Copcast podcast. Oh, first and foremost, we're having internal struggle as to what was worse, Liverpool's performance against <laughs> Manchester United or Beryl, Andy and my performance um, after <laughs> Crystal Palace. I think it's completely um, unfair to throw Beryl in there. Like, I think we need to take it in the chin. No, it's a team game, and as we'll go on to, it's very much a team game, and everybody has a responsibility to keep each other right. There was no James Milner shouting in Virgil van Dijk's face last week. So, um, anyway, yeah, it was an absolute shambles. Um, I've got Jay Ree in Liverpool. I've got Andy Bell in Liverpool. I've got Johnny Henderson for his usual bi-monthly cameo uh, back in Belfast. And Johnny... Like, I don't know, where do we start? Um, like, I know there are obvious injury issues there, um, but realistically, you know, what more of an incentive to this team need? This team have been called mentality monsters and blah, 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 right? What more of an incentive do they need? It's a way to Man United, who are on the ropes, you know, who are in absolute crisis. They're talking about worst start for a manager in over 100 years and all this garbage. And Manchester City have just dropped two points at the weekend. So we can literally make up half of the points that we've dropped inside one game already. We go two points behind them and that's and that's all of a sudden things are all right again. And... We show up there like we just don't give a fuck, don't we? Like right from the very first minute. You can see from the first minute what was going to happen because it was nearly like Fulham all over again. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's it's really, really hard to explain. I, I, I don't think there's any, you know, none of us have a silver bullet or, or we don't have a definitive explanation of what's what's happening at the minute. Um, suffice to say, a few weeks ago, this is a team that played Man City in the showcase season opener and blew them away and uh, you know filled us with confidence and optimism. But like you say, I think though the, the worrying thing is that all the things that you're talking about, Dave, the, the lack of urgency, the lackadaisicalness, the failure to take, you know, the you know earn the right to play, win your battles, you know. Th- we would have took that as a given with this with this Liverpool team grinding games out, um, but we just looked panicked since the very first five minutes of the season against Fulham. We just looked panicked. We just don't look ourselves. We look uncertain, um, and we look weak mentally, really weak mentally. And there couldn't have been. You're quite right. There couldn't have been any more incentive to go out there and put in a, a big performance. You know, we have a lovely fixture on paper at home to Bournemouth. Two games in Anfield coming up. Perfect opportunity to just show up, win the game. We'll always get the fans pumped and then and, and close that gap on City and get going. And we were just utterly abject. Um, so there's no excuses. And that's probably the most worrying thing. We, we were talking, Dave, when we were out for the Palace game Uh before you got properly cabbage, probably and started talking. About it. But when we were when we were talking uh, after that game, you know that that was the thing we were saying. Like, there just doesn't seem to be, um, you know, there doesn't seem to be that coherence to the to the, to the team at the minute. There's just something not right. We we go behind in every game. We're lax a days ago. You know, we had a warning last night. We had the wake-up call when Alanga um, hit the post, but we didn't heed the warning, and we just kept doing the same things over and over again. And, I mean, I'm keen to know what the other guys thought, but, like, and I, I don't use these words lightly because these, these lads are the best football team I've ever seen play for Liverpool. They've given me the best days I've had watching Liverpool, so I don't say this lightly. But some of the performances they, they were disgraceful and some of the the, the goals uh, i mean trent for the first goal there, there's a clip doing the rounds on, on twitter today of him he's just meandering he's just dandering it's like he's in a daze it's like he's wondering oh what am i doing here van dyke just standing there and milner give him a bollocking 
Milner and Henderson were just all, all over the place. Felt sorry for Harvey Elliott. At least he was trying to show for the ball. They were just they didn't seem to know where they were where they were playing. It was just utterly abject. And in the second goal, Henderson takes a terrible touch. He has two chances to just take. I think it was Bruno Fernandez plays the ball through. Just take him out. Take the yellow card. It's the most basic, simple thing in football. Martial. Martial, just take him out. He's clearly getting away from you. But he just doesn't. He just doesn't react. He doesn't do anything. And it's 2 0 and it's game over. Um, so, just in every aspect of game management, being alert, being awake, um, and having no fight, everything that you just never dream of with a Klopp team happened last night. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'll let the other guys think if they could like, find more, but that's that was my just take on it. I mean, structurally, the team you could go into loads of things about how everything looks wrong at the moment. Sal and Diaz are too wide, we don't look like goal threat. Um, but for me, number one attitude, just attitude and willingness to get, get stuck in and, and be alert and up for the fight just weren't there. And that like, a way to United in their current state that is unforgivable so yeah i'm still raging about it yeah we're all raging today um yeah attitude sometimes it's sometimes something that's labeled at people unfairly you know um and there's kind of two two ways to look at this um there's maybe three ways to look at this as an actual fact um we are out we're outran by united they put they put more miles on the clock than we do. We're out sprinted by them um, by 50%. Um, I think it's somewhere around 100 sprints to 150 sprints in their favour. Um, so that is considerable. Um, and they're just far more intense and far more energetic. And for a side that supposedly uh, intensity is our identity, like it looks like we're having an identity crisis if you want to be like really churlish about it so yeah is, yeah do you know is it is it a is it a is it an attitude thing is it a confidence thing so you know is it a is it a psychological thing is it potentially and you know i think didn't they say that that was the youngest uh manchester united team that had been Start starting eleven since I don't know two thousand and fourteen or something, and we had what six six players over the age of thirty started, something along those lines. And when we're talking thirties, you know Milner, you could probably push forty. Um, or is it the fact that there's just we just maybe don't know what we're doing? Maybe there has been too much tactical kind of um, adaptations. And these guys who've been doing pretty much the same thing for so long and so many years are struggling to make that adaptation. It's a big worry regardless of however you dress it up, whatever way you look at it, whatever angle you approach things, how you see football, how you read football. Um, you know, the, there's that much not going right, there's that much wrong that just says it's a big concern. Like, I've not seen us that bad since we played Stoke away and got twatted 6-1 under Rodgers. And, and I know that was a real low point and that I, I'm not saying it's a time for Klopp to go because that's the time we all knew Brendan had to go, but it was a time for change and I think, you know, change is needed somewhere in this this whole setup, the whole system, the whole team, whatever. Like, there was a, there was a, a tweet going round. I think they've seen this morning. Like nine of the eleven players who started last night started four years ago against Chelsea. Now, you know, consistency can be one thing, but you're asking lads who've done absolutely everything they can in the game to, you know, be performing to the same levels. Like four years on, it's like we've gone on about like evolution and stuff. And yeah, we're missing loads of players. Yeah, a lot of these players missing might be new signings for whatever reason or another but you know I think sometimes for me Klopp's loyalty is his biggest weakness as much as as, as much as it's his biggest strength and you know we, we we can delve into lots of topics and stuff but the bottom line for me is there's lads there who just aren't good enough like whatever way you want to address that like there's players there who 
shouldn't be starting for Liverpool in 2022 for whatever reason or like no slice on the man because he was one of the the only fellas last night who put his balls on the line and ran all over the pitch but 36 year old James Milner has started the last two Premier League games we shouldn't be relying on him we we shouldn't be in a position where we're putting James Milner out for you know starting in in the first two out of the three league games and relying on him to come on against Fulham and you know have a difference and change the game right we all know where the problem is. It's the centre of the field for, again, multiple reasons. But I think that's the biggest problem we've got is we're relying on a fellow who really, at most, should just be coming on for 10, 15 minutes here and there and just enjoying the latter stages of his career. And we're asking him to go out there and try and run the game for us in the middle of the park. It's it's a ridiculous situation to be in. So, yeah, it's just, it's a big concern, a big load of questions need to be asked I don't think Klopp and his team are stupid I think they know what's going on um, and you know they've got far far enough credit in the bank for us to you know us people sitting at home or sitting in the crowd and you know questioning like we, we don't know an ounce of what that what's going on in that man's head but he, he's got enough football credit in the bank to, to outlast us all so you know right now we've just got to you know hope to have they can sit and figure things out on the training ground. And as uh, Johnny said, like two home games coming up and, you know, the, the rallying cry from Klopp to get on field, raucous against Bournemouth on Saturday. And I know Andy put a tweet out before saying, like, you know, there'll be a difference in fan approach to what you see on social media to what's in the ground. And that, that's totally right. But I think the most important thing on Saturday is we've got to go out there and we've got to rattle a few goals in early doors and just settle everyone down because if we go 20, 25, half an hour into Saturday's game and it's nil-nil, you don't you don't want to see it, but there will be angst because there's enough idiots who go the game as much as there is good people. So I think we just need to settle everyone's nerves down. However, however we do it, I thought you hadn't got a big server. You have. No, well, I, think, I see. It. I, I, you said there's enough idiots going the game, and I said I thought you hadn't. I thought you hadn't got a ticket. I said, uh, I'm sure bad well, I was going to say at least we got Henderson here tonight, but you know we won't go into it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll let you have your piece. I've, I've monologued enough, and I'm not even drank like you last week. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, um, you know Jay's calling it a personnel issue, um, as Jay will stick to his guns. And, you know, I'm not going to disagree with him too much here, although I will just because it's Jay. Um, you know, and it's Dave. <laughs> yeah, and it's Dave. So, look, and it, and to be fair, you know, last night, absolutely, there's a personnel issue there, certainly in the middle of the park. Um, I would argue, certainly structurally, you know, does Trent get the protection that he that he needs? Uh, why does he end up playing in all these weird areas of the pitch that he really usually doesn't? Um, Elliot is, I think, frustratingly loose with possession, with kind of straightforward passes. It's, it's like one of these players can play the difficult pass, but struggles with the easy pass, and he needs to get better at that. And Milner's actually the furthest forward of the most of them with the runs he's making, so... There's not exactly solidity in there. Um, and, yeah, okay, it's it's a personnel issue if, if you want to look at it that way. But at the same time, as I mentioned earlier on, this performance, it's not that different from large parts of Fulham, which was, you know, Alisson, Trent, Maddop, Van Dijk, Robertson, Henderson, Fabinho, Thiago, Diaz, Firmino, Salah. Okay? Now... Yeah, you might say Fabinho's form hasn't been where it needs to be. Yes, you might say what you want to say about Jordan Henderson to one widely varying different degree or another. But that shouldn't be a team that struggles against a team like Fulham. So, I don't know, where do you sit on the personnel versus functionality kind of argument here? Yeah, well, first of all, like the, the comparison to Fulham's absolutely spot on. It's the exact same game as was against Fulham, really, in that the fullbacks are, you know, pushed right the way into their own half. Uh, they're pressed very much. The wingers are given absolutely no time in the ball. You know, Diaz and Salah, especially Diaz, every time he got the ball, Dallow was was crushing into him. It didn't matter if he uh, won the ball or not, or gave away a foul or not. You know, the ball may get passed or the man may get passed, but not both. 
And um, he's not running in behind him. He's, at no point is he running in behind him. And, and you know, neither... Without the ball, I mean. And yeah, they're not running in behind, but they're not. They're also not running inside them. If you look at like Diaz's and, and Salah's average position, they're so, so wide, wider than they've ever been. And there's like a few different theories in that. I think the one that I maybe subscribe to or have settled on for now is that with Nunez or Jada playing up front, they can occupy that space between the two defenders. But when Firmino's playing there, obviously he's going to drop back. And like goodness me, he was playing beside Jordan Henderson. He was deeper than Jordan Henderson for at times last night you know you'd think they'd be able to adapt to that okay you know if Jota's not fit and Nunez isn't fit albeit that's not a situation you'd expect to be in for for large parts of the season you'd expect at least one of them to be there when Firmino is there you have to adapt your game but they didn't and it it kind of ends up playing out in this like sort of delta arrow like shape where the center halves aren't occupied at all and it just played in the sort of Lissandro Martinez's hands Uh, and goodness me he was lapping it up wasn't he giving it a big one so let's see, when, you know, when we've got ourselves sorted when he comes to Anfield. Let's see what he's made of. I think there's far too many of them are, um, you know, more Given than Given the big one of five foot nine. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And we, yeah, we made, him, we made him look like a big lad. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's, it's really difficult. There's so much you can sort of say about it in terms of like whether it's, it's personality or the structure. I think the structure is a massive issue at the moment. In that we've massively deviated from what we're doing last year and the year before. And I think it's by design as well. I really think it is by design. You know, Salah isn't standing out in the right touchline because he, he thinks, oh, it's, it's good crack here. I'm enjoying myself. This is where I belong. He's, he's standing there because he's been asked to, which I don't get because, you know, Mo Salah, I, I don't know if I'm sort of onto something here, but I think he might be quite prolific in front of goal. Uh, just, just a hunch. Yeah, so, he, he, he's he's very he, he's very adamant that he really really enjoys scoring goals as well. Yeah, and so I I don't know maybe he might he might just be good at it. I'm not entirely sure, but yeah, there's that. And then like the midfield, just sort of last point is is a massive issue because whether it's Fabinho there, or whether it's Henderson there, and to be fair, and Jay will love this. I will criticise Henderson last night because positionally he's really really poor and he doesn't give anywhere near enough protection. Again, don't know if that's what he's being asked to do or not, but. At least Fabinho, whether he's having a bad game or not, he is always kind of that lighthouse, I think they call him, in front of the two centre-halves. And he can get over and help Trent, or he can get over and, and just generally prevent counter-attacks. There was none of that from Henderson, but in Henderson's defence, the two of Milner and Elliott are constantly playing in between the lines, and there are two of our furthest forward as well. So when we do lose the ball, there's absolutely nothing there. And you see how quick United are in those transitions with the likes of Sancho, the likes of Bruno, Elanga. You know, they're quick players. They're not particularly good players, but if you give them space and, sp- and and time to run into that space, they will show the best of themselves. So I don't really get that because, you know, the last couple of years has been in that left-hand side of midfield position. I mean, when Alden was the, the, the archetype of it, the, the player who was kind of just played it safe, but, you know, sat in beside the number six when he needed to last season. It's almost, you know, like, it's almost like he actually was quite good at what he was asked to do, isn't it? Well, yeah, but there's that, but also like Dave, when we were talking last season about who our midfield would be, and who was, you still talked about that left-hand side of midfield as being the conservative of the two um, number eight positions. I don't think that's it anymore. I think both of them are playing like the right-hand side of the midfield number well, yeah, eight. Yeah, we didn't have a conservative side last night, and I think you're right. But we haven't had a conservative side at all this season. You, you watch that that Palace game. They're, um, they're Milner and Elliot are, are playing between the lines like two attackers, and it's the same in the Fulham game. They're and I think they they trust Fabinho. But that's why Fabinho's been looking like he's been exposed as well. Like, there's no conservative number eight now. There's just two attacking number eights. And it's clearly by design. It's clearly something they've thought of. Yeah. I've got a quick question for you. And Andy, you'll probably be a good one to answer this. <laughs> Go on. Uh, I wonder, wonder who uh, this is about. Yeah, well, it's actually like, it's a genuine thought, to be fair. I, do you think with Henderson being the captain and whatever your views on him, as a captain on and off the field, whatever that's personal opinion. However, he feels it's necessary to go and influence the game in whatever way he deems right in his opinion. And are you politely uh, saying that he's practically indisciplined when he becomes emotional? Potentially, but what I'm thinking is, like, you know, he was asked to play number six last night, and I know you, you would highly enjoy the fact that Fabinho being dropped, um, but. You know, as Andy pointed out, that there is a reason why Fabinho is probably the best at picking that role for his tactical discipline. What I'm saying is, if is the captain's armband on Henderson, does it get too emotionally involved where he feels like he's got to influence the game too much and therefore he then vacates his position 
would it be an an argument or a discussion to be had that the captaincy would be better served with somebody else and then he can just focus on his own game a la back in the day when Gerard Hooley took it off Sammy Appiah and give it to Steven Gerrard because Gerrard at that point was probably a better fit as a leader for the team and Hippier was just allowed to focus on his own performance and his own game, which actually probably improved him as a player because he was just focused in one area rather than trying to lead the whole team. I can see what you're saying, but also if there's one criticism of Gerrard and his captaincy, it's probably that he was too emotionally involved and too often he took it upon himself. I mean, you look back at that. The, the, but, but he had the quality to, to change a game on its head. Like that, yeah. that, you can't deny the difference in quality of players. Like of Gerrard course. had the ability to flip a game and drag a team over the line and boy, did he drag that team. It was nowhere near good enough over the line so many times. I just think right now, it, it's probably a discussion to be had for, for the benefits of Jordan Henderson as a Liverpool player, could it be take a little bit of responsibility away from him and allow him just to enjoy his own football rather than try and think that he's got to drag the team over the line because, you know, we, we've got a team full of stars, we know it, and maybe just having that less responsibility might help him focus his, his play, that's all. I, I don't Can think I just that... weigh in on this, Ali, before you do? Yeah. Um, and it's very, very quick. I kind of see what you're saying, Jay, but at the same time, I think Gerard was given the captaincy as, as uh, let's call it bait, um, to try to, to just to maybe try and cement his head at the club, and who be a it came in an accommodating time. Um, Jordan Henderson, I think he is far too. And this is not a criticism of him, but I think he has enough insecurities at the moment which hinder his, hinder his football without doing that to him as well. I don't think it'd be beneficial to do it right now because the season's began and you'd have a debacle over it, much like the, you know, the Tyrone Mings thing at, at Aston Villa. Um, but, you know, I think it, you know, if he's going to continue beyond this year... I think, I think it makes it worse rather than better. Andy, I don't know. Do you... I, I, I think your captain for me has got to be someone who starts week in, week out, and you know, come next year, is Henderson nailed on to be starting week in, week out? Arguably not. Therefore, as a vice captain, and maybe you know, I don't know, Alison Van Dijk, Mo Salah, you know, you, people who start week in, week out, they they would be you know candidates to to take that role. Uh, but yeah, so I, wouldn't I... Do, I wouldn't do it mid season. That's all I'm saying. But it, it could be a discussion to be had next summer. So I I think for, like first of all just quickly on the Gerard point yes Gerard did have the quality to change a game but you look at the amount of times Gerard got himself like stupidly sent off because he was far too emotional and felt he had to get far too emotionally involved in the game and then there's also like for example if you go back now like forget the slip against Chelsea that can happen to anyone that's a bit of bad luck but the amount of stupid pot shots he takes from outside the the um uh, the edge of the box second half that's what actually loses us that game and, and, and prevents us from getting back into it. So I think like while, yes, of course, for every one of those or, you know, for, for every one of those games, you've got five games where he's turned up in his head and won us the game and dragged us through. There's also different things. And, and Jared could be tactically indisciplined at times. There was no doubt about that for me. Secondly, I actually don't think the captaincy, taking the captaincy off Anderson, I don't think it's like cricket where, you know, the captaincy gets taken off, he's at you know, Joe Root, and all of a sudden he becomes a much better batter again because he doesn't have to worry about any of those things. I think that's much more of an off-the-pitch thing, and I don't know, because I've never been in a dressing room, and I don't know how it all works. I think it's much more of an off-the-pitch thing than it is an on-the-pitch thing, and I don't think, like, I don't think you take the captaincy off Henderson and he changes his game at all. Like, I, re- I and I could be completely wrong on that, I am guessing, but that's just my understanding of the modern-day captaincy. Maybe back in the day it was a bit different, and I suppose the third thing is, like, as much as he was. He did look tactically indisciplined last night. I think because of the way the other two midfielders were playing, as I said in my previous bit. I think you also do see, you know, Fabinho, you know, crushing up the pitch, trying to win the ball high, um, and stepping out of position. Sometimes it's just that usually there's a player to step in for him there, and there was none of that last night. And you know, I read a quote. I think I'm bound to have said this at some point last week. I've said it for, you know, we did nearly two hours in the podcast. But Jurgen Klopp said before where where Guardiola says he'd love to play with 11 midfielders one day, it's his dream to do that. Klopp has said he'd love to play with two defenders and, and eight attackers, and that's why he brought Kanate in, because he feels he's got the pace to let him do that. I think you're starting to see them try and do that with the, the position of the two number eights, 
and what comes with that, especially when there's, you know, maybe a little bit of a lack of quality in the ball, as you see with Henderson, as I think you see with Gomez as well, to be honest, last night. You know, there's going to be transitions and you're going to get caught a lot more. And the number six and the two centre halves, I think, are going to look a lot more exposed this year if that's a plan and they're sticking to it than they would have done in previous years. But that's just my take on it. All right, Johnny, let's get to the top end of the pitch because, you know, there's there's serious issues there. I think Firmino gets a lot of criticism. I actually think he's not that bad. I think he's much tidier than he has been. I think his link-up plays decent. I think his hold-up plays decent. But, you know, he ends up playing in the centre circle for the majority of the match. And then, as we said, we don't have our forwards moving into that space. Um because he comes that deep, the centre half actually doesn't have to go with him because he's literally waiting in the midfield. And I don't know, is this something to do with the signing of, of Nunez? Is his movement to running in behind supposed to create the space for these two to kind of exploit those inside runs with? Um, I I don't know. I I just I just don't really. I I'm looking I'm looking at the setup. And I'm looking at what I'm seeing in the pitch. And even with the big lad there, I'm still coming to the conclusion, no matter how many times or how many different ways I think about it, that the system is dysfunctional. And at the top level of football, where there's so little room for error, you are, there's too much, if you talk about risk reward, it looks to me like there's too much risk for the reward that you're getting. I think we've gone too far the other way. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that um, I I would agree with you with Firmino. I've seen he was getting absolute pelters and he really frustrated me. There was one in the first half where I think actually one of the few times the press did work. I think Henderson dispossessed one of their it's guys. It's that up in the air, isn't it? Uh, it was just so stupid. It was yeah. just like, what are, what are you doing? Just keep the game simple. There's um, that and there's the volley, which he doesn't even... like. He doesn't even edge. He just misses the ball completely. Yeah, I think people are saying he played shite based in those two big moments. But like, I'm with you both. I thought he actually was our, probably our best player. And at least he wasn't hiding like the rest of them. He actually came deep to show for the ball rather than play like massive fucking vanity passes like the rest of them. A hundred percent, Andy. A hundred percent. I agree with all that. I think he had two moments that are like, you know, the, the Twitter clips, you know, when you get these like 12-year-olds in, in the basement that, that don't like a player. They always like a couple of clips that they'll put out, and you know you take that silly scoop and the volley, the air shot, and his left foot. But totally agree. At least he was showing for the ball, um, and he was showing a bit of fight on the ball, and he was trying to knit things together. I thought it was really noticeable though that that cohesion. Like so, Dave, when you talk about the structure, completely, it's just not right. The he was dropping deep. If you look at the average positions last night, he was standing right on top of Milner. They were like literally in the same space on the pitch uh, so many times. Johnny, Johnny, see and saying that, right? See and saying that, that's fine. But we talk about it, sorry, we talk about it like we're talking about it now, like the midfield is congested, right? But it mm -hmm. wasn't because, you know, when we're on our best, when we lose possession and the turnover happens, there's three or four around them, and we smother them. There was there was too much space, far too much space between everybody last night. Henderson was in acres by himself, you know. Yeah. And yeah. the when they won the ball, they were just able to play around us because there was just no solidity there at all. And this is what I'm talking about with that structural issue. Yeah, yeah, no, no. That listen. I'm talking about passages of play when we were trying to build, you know, th that was really noticeable when they where he was coming into that area. And I think you're right. I think we've bought Nunez, who's a complete departure from the type of center forward that we've had. Um, and that he's a real, you know, he's a he's a box threat. He's physical. He, he's good in the air. He's. He's got a lot of pace and he's looking to get in behind. And I think that they've set out the team in a way. Uh, I mean, like you have said, like uh, Salah's not playing out fucking with chalk on his boots on the wing because because he just feels like a wee change and he's thinking, I'll just drag out, I'll just stay away from the goal. That's something that's 
that's that they've maybe worked on. But if that's the case, then fucking jib it in the head when Nunez isn't fucking there. You know, and this is the part that just makes no sense to me. Um, I think Diaz has been a revelation, you know, in terms of his ability, his fight. He looks a smashing player. But he's not Manny in terms of output yet. He's not near Manny's level in terms of the goals and the output. And and a lot of that is is because of the way the positions he's, he's, he's taken up. We've had this success. So everyone always talked about your front three. Liverpool are so narrow. Manny and Salah are constantly making that curve and run that you can't. It's really difficult to play them offside. And we've, we've had a departure from that. And so that's not working. The midfield, let's be honest, if Thiago and Fabinho were there, and I'm assuming there was a problem with Fabinho, maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe the maybe he just was was dropped, given that he came on. Um, maybe if you have that solidity of those two, but then we had it against uh, fucking Fulham, and we had it against, you know, we had it against Fulham, and it didn't it didn't make any difference. So it it is a really hard one. I, I think they are trying something different. Andy's right. That's a really good observation. I mean, we are we don't have a genuine album anymore. We don't have a. Uh, like Hendo when he was getting up and down and he had the legs to get about the pitch we seem to be trying something different but I think what Klopp needs to do um, is he needs to be pragmatic this is just my opinion at the minute we've got a lot of players out players down the spine of the team our second and third choice centre-backs are out um, our, our two best central midfielders well Fabinho's not out, but we didn't start him last night. But him and Thiago are definitely our best two. And down the middle, Nunez, Jota, you know, the two probably outside of Salah, the two goal threats are, are out. I think Klopp needs to be pragmatic. He needs to rein it in a bit. And we need we need to just recalibrate and get back to the basics of what we're good at and try and get through these next couple of games against Bournemouth and Newcastle, get six points on the board, get some players back in September. And then, and then take it from there. Um, but it's really it's strange at the moment because you just don't know what you're watching. It just is so unlike us. It's it's really strange, and it's hard not to think that it is this. We always do some tweaks, like you know the evolution of Trent bringing him inside. We're obviously trying to come up with new things now with with Diaz and with Nunez. Jota to come back to you know the the, the dynamic of the forward lines changing, and we're trying something. But at the minute, it's not working, and. Uh, the season, the league title, <laughs> it's not gone already. It's going to be gone, absolutely gone before we know it, unless there's a like a hundred percent improvement, you know. I'll just yeah. give you a little yeah. stuff on that, Johnny. If we win our next five, we had the same start as Man City last season. <laughs> Calls for optimism. Yeah, no, let's not look at it. Yeah, it's not like it. <laughs> <laughs> We can dream. So, I think game yeah. the game game fives against Chelsea, isn't it? Away to Chelsea, so that, that's no, where the some... Everton, isn't it? No, um, that's three games away. Ah, yeah. game five. Oh, so sorry, game five in your five. Game, yeah, yeah, yeah. game five of Jays. Like, let's start like Man City. Wrong <laughs> is, is Chelsea. I'm pretty sure. So yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I don't feel I don't feel confident about five wins after watching that. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, so look, Jay, other teams are going to be looking at us now going, I don't know what's happened, but these things are shit. And listen, you wouldn't be too far wrong in looking at it. And the way it appears to me, and I just want to stick with this for a while, because I really, it's like, do you know when like you see those like Matt Damon in Is It Good Will Hunting where he just walks into the classroom and just writes this shit on the blackboard and I'm looking at it going I have absolutely no idea what I'm looking at not at all like that Ed Norton gif where he's just looking in the sky at all this mathematics I have no idea what I'm looking at and the thing that baffles me the most is what we're doing seems to be compromising everything that was good about us you know you've strangled Salah You've got Diaz playing in weird positions. Robertson, I can't remember the last time he crossed a ball from, you know, from not being... (laughs) To his own player. Honestly. Um, And, you know, we can go on. Trent, there was one pass last night, the one where he slid along the ground into Diaz, it was just a bit long, and I was like, 
that's that one pass that that my brother always says he does one pass again we just go wow but even that didn't come off but it was this aimless kind of really deep looped through ball and it was it just no one affected the game no one affected the game and we've seen that we've seen it over and over again um so like i, I don't know couple say it's a process it's a process it's a process um and we've seen this to process and they'll work on it and work on it and work on it but actually are we do you think we're on a hide and do nothing with this or as you say is it is it going to be fixed by bringing in two really really good midfielders say we sign Bellingham and I don't know some other boy who's dead good um, does that fix it because see see what I'm looking at <laughs> what I'm looking at it doesn't make a damn sight bit of difference to be perfectly honest with you um, no we probably because we probably need three um, but we're not going to get probably one if we're lucky uh, so no it's not going to be fixed right away um, no no I'm, no. but what I'm saying is say, say, say we do say in a say, say, <coughs> say, yeah, say, say a random parallel universe we are we, Todd Bowley's just bought us and he's like I'll just battle the class midfielders and he goes and spends 250 million on three midfielders right Um the three best you can get your hands on. I don't think this. I don't think it fixes the problem. I don't think it gets us anywhere close to to a hundred point season. That's a question you you probably can't genuinely answer because we we wouldn't know. But I think I think the main things we're lacking at the moment is, as Johnny was saying, like structure and legs. And as of banged on for like what. 15 months now we've never replaced Ginny Wijnaldum um, and you know we, he's been brought up twice I think already on this pod and it, it, he was that good but the thing is yeah and this is what I'm saying and, and what the guys were saying earlier on with these two more advanced midfielders do they even want to replace Ginny Wijnaldum or is I, it more a card I don't know but is it, is it such a bad thing to go back to something that worked like we we got over the line with Reese Williams and Nat Phillips at centre-half in that season that was savaged by centre-half injuries with Ginny Wijnaldum, Thiago and Fabinho playing the last 10 games and we didn't get beat. So as good as Nat and Reese were, we also had a very solid base in midfield. And, you know, again, it sounds like I'm beating the same old drum, but it was just a player who didn't get injured and it was you were able to structure the midfield. Around. The midfield this season has never been the same at all, even if you include the community shield. There's, there's no... There's no structure, there's no stability, and maybe you know if you buy two or three players who come in and are available every game, then the likelihood is yeah, you would see an improvement. Um, but obviously, we all know we play very intricate patterns and tactics of play, um, and you know the, the famous old you know you, you sign a player and they go in Klopp's basement for two or three months until they learn the Klopp way or whatever. But you know there's there is caveats for that because Luis Diaz come in and hit the ground more than running um, you know Nunes might need a bit of time he certainly needs to you know get his head in check because he's going to get a bathroom from centre arse in his first game back to Derby and you cannot imagine more bad opposition than Conor Cody and Tarkowski being in his ear so you know things like that can be can be ironed out but you know we do we do need something else in there but and the main problem is legs and and the ability to, you know, be structured and stuff. And I think, you know, I wouldn't be against if we if we somehow got back to a bit of stability and you sat a couple of lads in there and just said, like, look, we, we haven't got the the man at the back. And I know me and Andy had a back and forth last night about Gomez. Like, whatever your opinion on it is, he's a fourth-choice centre-half for a reason. And we know if the other two lads were fit, they'd be in there ahead of him for me I'd probably shade Kanate just purely for the for the pace and power I know other people would shade Matter for for those other types of play in the game but is it that much of a problem if we just say right well we, we rein it in a little bit and we just get a structure in midfield and we sit and we protect those two lads at the back as good as they are and we just say first and foremost we get a clean sheet because that's Seven games in a row now, we went one nil down. That's not good enough. That that's that's not good enough. That's the sort of shit you associate with Everton or relegation fodder. And there's a reason 
why like we're struggling in games. We shouldn't be going one nil down. We we built ourselves on on a good defence in the, the years we won the league and we won the Champions League. And to go back to something that worked wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. I know football is is all about evolution and stuff, but if something worked here in the past, it wouldn't be such a bad thing to go back to it. I don't think. Yeah, and like I said, I, I don't think it doesn't look to me like we're going to go back to it, Andy. Um, it looks like you know we've made slight adjustments in the past, like Johnny said, but this just looks like we've literally ripped up the rulebook and started again. We've literally set fire to the house for an insurance job and tried to build some, I don't know, like just rooms on top of one another. With no stairs and no doors and no windows, I, 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 I don't even know. I just don't know what I'm. I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. This is how confused I am about what I'm seeing. Um, even when we didn't get results before or played poorly, at least you knew what we were doing, but we just weren't doing it very well. And you could see that it might have been individual errors or poor performances. So I don't know. I'm a little bit on the fence with shouting shite at every player on social media possible and I'm guilty of it as well not on social media just guilty of, of taking players out sometimes but you know there's Joe Gomez I, I don't think he plays that badly to be brutally honest with you I don't know what you saw in his performance that made you think he was that bad I think his distribution was actually really good he still wasn't very good in the end there's a couple of weird headers but He's absolutely fucking horribly exposed, is he not? You know, in the channel that you know the the opposition have been targeting. So, like, what was so what was so horrendous about his performance that you saw? So my thing with Gomez isn't that like he was the worst player on the pitch last night. Like you could probably name six or seven players, Liverpool players, that you could make an argument that he was better than. That's absolutely fine. My issue is and let's take the second goal as, a, as an example, okay? And you always see Liverpool holding the line, whether it's Matip playing there, who has significantly less play, less pace than Kanate. You always see them just hold that line. And okay, if the ball comes at the perfect time and the run's made perfectly, then they're in behind. And that's the high risk, high reward you were talking about earlier, okay? That's absolutely fine. But if, as usual, the midfielder can't get the ball away quite at the exact time or the, the, defend, uh, the, the, you know, the other player, the attacker, is what I'm looking for. It makes a run at the, it doesn't make the run at the exact right time. You'll catch them offside, right? And even if Gomez holds his line there, even if Rashford does time the run right, he has to check himself. And then that might give uh, Virgil van Dijk or somebody else the time to get over and make the challenge. What he does is neither. What he does is he panics and he drops back, but then he still tries to sort of like hold the line, sort of not hold the line because he's miles behind Virgil. Just look at the still. He's he's about five yards behind the rest of the defence. Um, and it's completely the wrong thing to do. And my issue is that that's him not trusting his body. That's him thinking. And in my opinion, I haven't seen the medical reports. And we can only make a judgment based on the 90 minutes that we see. And little individual moments like that. But I don't think his body's the same ever since he's come back from those injuries. I don't think he's got that yard of pace that he used to have. And I don't think he trusts himself anywhere near what he used to do. And I think that's an issue because, you know, based on last night, as I say, you can name seven players who had a worse game than him. But Virgil van, Dijk, Virgil van Dijk's game last night's rectifiable. On another night, Trent Alexander-Arnold will find two of those crosses and you get two assists. On another night, Andy Robertson doesn't, uh, you know, fire crosses into the Stratford end all night. On another night, Salas touches a bit better. On another night, you know, maybe Henderson's positioning's a little bit better. All those things are rectifiable. Joe Gomez's body isn't rectifiable. If he if you play that game ten times over, that's not him having a bad game. That's him being Joe Gomez in his current form, in my opinion. And I know it sounds really harsh. And I know everyone will say this, the whole thing about um, you know, he needs games to get up to speed. He's had these injuries. We've been saying this since the Madrid season, since before the Madrid season, because he has that really good few months with Van Dyke. Then he's out and Matip comes into the team. And literally ever since then, and that's what, three and a half years? Ever since then, we've been saying the same thing. He hasn't had a run of games. He's just back from injury. He needs some time to get back. At some point, we're going to have to say, because he's not going to get six games here. When Matt's back, he's straight back in. Guarantee you 100% Matt is straight back in with Van Dijk. If he's back next week, 
there's not a chance in hell he plays Gomez for, for an extended period of time here. I could be completely wrong in that, but that's what I think. So he's not going to get these six games unless both of them are out for the entire year. You know what I mean? So I my issue isn't what for his performance last night. I don't think he was very good. Well, with Matup, with Matup, although he's only out for another three weeks or something, that's not out of the question. No, you're you're right. But the, the overarching point is it's not that he was one of the worst last night. It's that other players can rectify their games last night. You put Joe Gomez into that situation where they leave four up front and try and get those quick little transitions. You know, we ball into midfield and first time ball in behind. I don't think Joe Gomez is right for us playing that high line anymore. Was this not the same thing that was said about Nat Phillips last week? It's just, you know, he's too slow, but other than that, it's just, it's Nat Phillips who got it accepted. No, I, don't agree. I don't agree with this. I don't agree at all. But, uh, but absolutely. Yeah, but, that, but that's, you so know, it's, I, one of, it's one of them things like Nat Phillips is, is what he is. He's, he's 25 year old, slow centre half. He's a header and kicker. He's yeah. in your box and he, he was hung out to dry last week. Yeah. And, I feel like last night we sort of hung Joe Gomez out to dry a little bit. Yeah, but Liverpool want to play that way. And, um, and you know, at some point, one of those two is going to have to play there because we know about Matip's injury record. And, if, you know, Kanate's obviously fit all last season, but if he's anything like he was at Leipzig, he lives some games out as well. So do we need to have a look at at, at a different a different fourth choice centre half? That's the question. Because fourth choice sounds like... Are somebody Joe Gomez quality fourth choice, 100% unbelievable. When you actually dig into the squad, we actually need a fourth choice centre half to be able to play in the way Matip and Kanate do on the halfway line and squeeze and play because that's imperative to how we play, I think. I think you're being a little bit harsh on them. I know like, you're saying about like the time he's had out injured and stuff, but you know, he is not match fit regardless of how you dress it up. His last, I think, the best of his was February. And I know you, you'll always have this you know you, you haven't got time to get players match fit and stuff like that but yeah he's fourth choice so the same arguments are labeled as likes of Milner because he's like the seventh choice midfielder like yeah. you're dropping them in what what do you expect but he's he's not going to be if he's fourth choice he's never going to be match fit right so, so, so I'm going to stop I'm going to stop this argument right now no no no, no this is my, this is just like it, the, these players who I don't think Miller's fitness is an issue. I think his I think his, his quality. It's, 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 well, his legs. Oh, Miller's old. Miller can't run around. Like, and trust me, I fucking know. Miller, <laughs> and Miller that, can't that's run why, around. That's like why he's he seventh choice, and that's why Gomez is fourth choice. Like, they're just not going to be dropped in and be nine out of ten. You just got to accept these. But things. I don't think it's a fitness thing. With, I don't think it's a fitness thing with Miller. I think it's it's just how he is as a midfielder. And by the way, can I just make one last point? Because I know you'll come at me next week. You'll all come at me next week for this. He will have a brilliant game against Bournemouth on Saturday because it's hoofing it up to Kiefer Moore, one man up front. No problem at all. He's still a good centre-half in those scenarios. But when a team plays like Fulham do and press high and leave players up the pitch and try and really hit us in the pace in those transitions when the halfway line, that's when he'd be exposed. All right, well, we'll see. But it's a it's a really small sample size and it's a really... it's a, it's it's That is a practice-makes-perfect position. And you do not get the practice on the training ground with that sort of thing. It just does not happen. So I feel like you're being really, really unfair. Johnny, What? who I'm not going to like give any kind of concessions to is Van Dyke. <clears throat> so let's let's have the conversation. First of all, I'll just let's just provide the context in case anybody didn't see it. And Sancho does like a couple of a couple of dummies like you would do in like park football and have your mates sliding around for a gag. Um, Van Dyke is like doing the shittest impression of Sergio Ramos trying to block a cross I've ever seen. Where his hands are behind his back, he's literally leaning forward, making himself smaller. Do you know? Leaning forward, making himself smaller. It looks like he's about to get a fucking prostate examination. And <laughs> and. He's standing in the middle of the net. He's standing in front of the goalkeeper. At least, at least, you know, at least try and block one of the corners so the keeper has two thirds of the net. Or sorry, the keeper has two thirds of the net to protect rather than like all of it and can't see. And most of all, and I know this is the Virgil thing that he will not do this because it's just not really what he does. But he should be out to him. He should be coming out charging charging Sancho and narrowing the angle and making him panic. But he doesn't. 
is there an argument here? Because we've talked about how Van Dyke, you know, he sometimes doesn't engage and he'll play the percentage game, um, make make the attacker make a decision, but drive him into the hardest position possible, the harder the harder of the two options. Is there an argument here now to say we actually need you to be less passive when it comes to defending? Oh God! I mean, we're we're talking about a guy that's been the best centre back in the world. I know. I'm I know. I really. It's, it's absurd for, even asking the question, but I, do, I genuinely oh. think it's a question that has to be asked at this point. I think Virgil has a playing style that lends itself to being, you know, he, he is very calm. He's, as the song goes, <laughs> he, he is very calm and how he goes about. But you can be aggressive. You can be aggressive can, and yeah, calm at the same uh, time. They're not mutually exclusive. You, yeah, but, but I've seen plenty of Van Dyke being aggressive. I mean, you don't be the best centre-back in the world by country mile without aggression. Um, he comes for balls and he dominates aerially and he cleans players out of it when he has to. Um, it's fair to me, right? But did you see the incidents in, this, in the incident in the second half when he when he does actually go to engage Martial um, and he gets right up behind him and kind of naked and Martial literally turns him and run, he just turns away from him and runs away from him. And yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. Know. Listen, yeah, listen, he had a bad game. He had a really bad game. And the, he was, I felt as well, he was he was, he was, was quite sloppy against Fulham. I mean, I think the penalty against Fulham's a wee bit unlucky. Mitrovic's quick feet. There's minimal contact. But there's just been a couple of signs from him, particularly in the Fulham game and last night, that this casual persona of, I don't get flustered, people don't dribble past me. Um. Yeah, he could do with, like the rest of them, in my opinion, he could do with a rocket up his ass. I don't necessarily think it's just about, you know, raw, uh, let's get some aggression in and get stuck in. I, I mean, my, my my observation of that goal was, it was just absolutely, Henderson was nowhere to be seen. He's meant to be the sixth. He was nowhere to be seen. Trent is in a daydream, just jogging. And the most infuriating thing about Trent is, he jogs and he just dilly dallies. And by the time Sancho actually puts the fucking thing in the net, after he takes about 25 touches, for fuck's sake, um, Trent is literally two yards away from him. But all that being said, and they were all, you know, in my opinion, there was loads at fault. But yeah, listen, Van Dyke, it was inexplicable what he, what he was doing there. I mean, I understand it on the edge of the box at times. You know, him and Matip are quite, they'll, they'll hold their position because they trust the goalkeeper. And that's that's been a tactic of Liverpool, you know, to just hold their ground and even sometimes just sort of show them one side of the goal because they trust their goalkeeper. But you can't be trusting your goalkeeper when you're standing right in front of them, fucking eight, eight, seven, eight yards out. And do, you think he knew, do you think he knows the goalkeeper's gone to ground? This is one thing I might, I could possibly make an argument in defence for him. Does he know the keeper's done a Brad Jones 2015 against Van Persie? Possibly if, not. If, if Allison's on his feet, he saves that shot. It's not like a, you know, it's, he doesn't need it to be a, a powerful shot into the corner. Yeah, poss- no. Possibly, yeah, possibly. But the shot's in the corner because Allison commits himself the other way. It's a fucking open net, like, do you know? Yeah. Because, he, because that, that's, what, it, that's what I'm saying. Does Van Dyke know it's an open net or does Van Dyke think Allison's still on his feet as normal? All right. Well, let me put it, let me put let me put this to you. If Van Dyke knows the keeper's dies the left hand side, should you maybe not move this towards the right hand side at least and come out and narrow the angle so that he's less of the goal to shoot at? No, that no, that's my point. I don't th- I don't think Van Dyke knows that Allison's dived to the left. I think Van Dyke. Oh well, that's all right then. That's, that's what I'm thinking. Because that's that's yeah. I don't know who said I, that, but they need a kick in the head. Listen, I, I, I think he's nervous of giving away a penalty as a, as he did a Fulham. Maybe, I, but I think still, if he, he, if he charges out and make himself big with his arms behind yeah. his back, he doesn't. I think if he charges out, the the goal. Sancho's got Fernandez to his left, and it's a tap in. And whether he sees Fernandez in his peripheral vision, whether he's onside or offside, I don't know at this point. But I think he's worried if he charges out, he either gives away a penalty or Sancho lays it off. I think he's in a no-win situation, very. Soon. Right. I listen. Listen. I'm. I'm, I'm not defending him at all. I'm not defending. I'm shit. not defending this at all. But and I'm not even going to give him that excuse because, be that as it may, he doesn't even need to charge out. He can just step into 
a more advanced position. He can walk. He had time to walk forward and be five yards closer to Sancho. There, there's, yeah, there's no defending what he what he did or didn't actually do. Um, but I think I think what happened to him with with Mitrovic what happened to him is he stuff, wasn't proactive enough. Is what happened to him. Yeah, but I think he he's in his own head now, and I think he just needs to clear his head like like all the players. And he's he's asking himself too many questions instead of just acting on instinct. I think I think to be honest, like uh, I think Milner Milner gives everything to block the shot. He puts his body in and yeah, it's a nice dummy, you know, with Sancho and, and that. I think that's what infuriates Milner is. Milner then sees how many touches he gets, and he just sees these people statuesque around him, and he's probably thinking, if you guys throw in there, like like that is last ditch when somebody's lining up a shot. From seven eight yards out, you know, I, I don't I don't care what way your hands are, or whatever. But you've got to you've got to react to the danger and be last ditch. And he was too casual in that moment. And maybe it is because it's in his own head. Maybe he's he's thinking about where his goalkeeper is. But to me, when someone's about to take a tap in shot from seven eight yards out, your first instinct uh, as a defender is. I need to get close to this ball and I need to try and get something on it. I need to block it. And that's it, Dave. He's just passive. He's too, he's far too passive. And yeah, I, I can I can imagine what Milner's thinking there. I can imagine, imagine Milner's thinking, get out to him, get out to him. And then Milner has to come over, has yeah, to come yeah. over and, and literally just make an idiot out of himself, you know, and it ends up going in the bottom corner because by the time Milner stops sliding across the ground, Van Dyke's still in the same position. Anyway, yeah. let's just put that one in the bin. It's it's not on anymore. Look, Jay, let's just take a let's just take a minute. Um, like we're we're not in a good position. The one bright spot, as you said, was was Carvalho. So he comes on. He makes a bit of a difference. Um, he's lively. He's involved. He's absolutely not hiding at all. But what do we do? What do we do with him? Because he he does seem just like a little bit of a of a break glass option at the minute, doesn't he? We need to break the glass, though, don't we? Well, well uh, that's it. But that's it, though. But like, I, he's, he's, he's a break glass option. When, he's a break glass option when you're chasing something. But like, where where does he fit into this team long term? I don't know. Right. I I, I I don't genuinely don't know. Um, is it an option to play him? Off the left because that's where he played a time last season for Fulham. But Diaz through the middle, um, you know, was a yeah. You know, but Fulham it was a four-two-three-one. The off the left wasn't it with Mitrovic? As the, or he played, or he played the ten. It depends. Like sometimes he play off the left and Kenny. Yeah, playing neither the 10 of or, which positions we currently play in our team. So no, and you know, you, I think personnel would would maybe dictate a bit a bit more if we had the options available, but. I'm on about this weekend, Saturday. Is it is it an option to put him on the left and put Diaz through the middle, or do you play him, you know, in, in the false nine role? Because as much as you lads all agree, I don't think Firmino was a good game because it left us vacant up the top of the pitch. And as Andy was saying earlier on, the the two wide lads are being asked to stay wide for whatever reason. So we're just leaving a massive chasm that some five foot nine kid was parading around like he was, you know, Franco Baresi in, in the middle of the park, but. I think the lack of presence up there and for me, no dropping back for whatever reasons into midfield, it just it just didn't work for for me. Um, anyway, um, maybe that's because I think and we're, we're trying to evolve to a more focal point in in having Darwin there. But when Carvalho did come on, he looked sharp. He looked like he wanted to you know get a one touch, two touch thing sort of going, and we did look a little bit more direct with him on. So. We need to do something different. So why wouldn't you start him on Saturday? Where you start him, that's up to Jürgen. And you know, they're the two options I can only think of because I've not seen enough of them. But I think if he's if he's looked at lively, and you know, when people were saying about Harvey Elliott's like performances have impressed, even though we've not been so great. So therefore, give him a start. Well, you know, this kid's come off the bench, and I didn't see the Palace game, so I can't comment on it. But you know, apparently he had a little cameo in there and he, he done okay. So, you know, what harm is it to start him? Because what we're working with now isn't working. Can I just quickly say, Carvalho, I, I really think, and I don't think we'll see it this season, 
maybe in a League Cup game, but I think the long-term plan is to have him and Elliot as the two yates in midfield. Well, this is what I said earlier on, but I don't, yeah, I don't think so personally. I think it's one or the other. I think you can play either or. I think like we go back to the the season when we had Coutinho, Mane, Firmino, and Salah for the six months or whatever we had them, and you know Coutinho sort of played as an advanced eight slash ten, or sometimes off the left. I think you know we could, we could maybe switch it up and go to that. Yeah, but, but I then think in midfield you had you had the solid core then. Well, this is it. You took you two sitting midfielders in essentially, which allowed you yeah. to do that. If you're going to play with the same player on the other side, um, you've got you've got Fabinho there. Who that's how that's how Milner's playing. Uh, but exactly, exactly. And it's by designs. So Why I think this two really advanced number eights things, it's a thing. I don't think I don't disagree with you, Andy, but I think you know it's just not working. It's not working. It it like it's 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 patently not working, and it's not only the fact that it isn't working. We can talk about the we can talk about the defensive structure and how we're left open, but we're literally nullifying everything that was good about us in an attacking sense as well at the same time. And honestly, Andy, like I don't know where your where your opinion is on this, but you know, the, if if this is all to accommodate the record signing, um, you know, is it worth it? listen we don't know if this is going to be one of these things that just requires a transition period and then it's going to be absolutely amazing when it happens I suppose. Is, it a, is it a is it a is it a transition period that's gonna is it a transition period that is potentially just going to write a whole season off yeah i i think i think it actually might be at this point like i, I think it, you know we might actually get to a point where this season just becomes one of those where we just need to get through um and nobody will want to hear it and i'm, I'm not writing it off right now listen you know it wouldn't shock any of us if we won the next five games in that, that five-game period, Jay was saying. It wouldn't shock any of us. We know this team have got that in them. Can they do it playing the way they're playing or taking the approach they're taking right now? Probably not with the personnel that are on the pitch. You know, I, I all of a sudden I'm looking at that Newcastle game and I'm dead worried about that, you know. Whereas four months ago, that's your bank of three points. I think we'll definitely get the three points on Saturday. But yeah, I, I don't know whether it's a Nunes thing or whether it's just a, a thing they feel like they need to do to adapt to the next stage of their game. But, I mean, if they have Van Dijk, Canate and Fabinho as the three there, then maybe we would see the best of it. I would, you know, but it just seems it just seems very, very risky. And, you know, there was a stat came out after Palace that we actually had the highest XG in the league. And if you look at our XG at the moment, it's actually quite high. It's 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 like five over the last uh, three games, which actually doesn't seem that high. But it's certainly, I think it was like four, four point five after Palace, maybe around six now. You know, we're, we're we are creating enough chances, and like what we scored two against Fulham, we scored one last night. And what, you know, so if your XG is around five and a half, six, and you're scoring four, that's a deviation you can live with. You know, that can happen. But if you look at the XG, yeah, and the five, if you're saying, was it, did you say, did you say four and a half of those five were against? Palace, Palace and Fulham. Okay, all right. Well, but you if, you, have, if you look, if you look at the XG against, though, the, you know, it's it's really high as well, and that's the thing. I think you know, if you're t- looking at it purely from an attacking perspective, we probably are create. You know, we create loads of chances against Palace. We we have a few chances last night as well that you forget in the context of the game. That's not entirely the worry for me, although it is slightly as well. I think we look blunter, but it's what what's happening on the break. You know, we're conceding real high quality chances and that's not like Liverpool. Can, can I can I just say something in this uh, like this two eights thing and, and I, I don't know, that might be the plan. But obviously whatever we're trying to do at the minute, as you say, Dave, that's not working. But it also seemed massively flawed in that the whole basically everything we did as a midfield was to enable or two fullbacks who are two of the best attacking fullbacks in world football to get forward and have that freedom and flexibility to get forward. And I know we evolved Trent's game slightly, trying to get him more involved coming inside and, you know, pinging those wee diagonals, slip through balls and stuff. But that, if we're, if we're going to go down that line, which positionally, there's an argument that we're trying to do that. I just think when you play your fullbacks as aggressively as we do, um, it just feels to me like that's that's a really risky, radical change, and it's not working. And, and just 
like one one final thing for me, and we've been talking a lot of tactics and stuff here, and and I think Dave, you said to me after the Palace game, and it's you know it resonates even more now. We we all remember the you know the famous Spurs game at Wembley when they were playing there when Kane destroyed Lovren, and it's a bit of a watershed for for Liverpool and um you know the signing of Van Dyke the 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 fight and what came out of that and then that became a theme of Klopp's Liverpool where you would get an odd listen they're human you would get an odd bad performance or you throw in a stinker but the reaction was immediate I mean we we, we went almost you know three out of four seasons we could have basically said we don't do two bad games in a row for me this is the most fundamentally worrying thing um, forget all the tactical stuff which we, we've talked through and it's been really good to sort of get everyone's views on it but to me that fundamental dave is 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 just it's a fucking it's not even a wee bell ringing at the minute it's a fucking siren that fulham should have been the wake-up call palace the sloppiness to go behind there should have been the wake-up call we've now that's three games against vastly inferior opposition where we've started lackadaisical and that for me is the most worrying thing, and that's the most unclop like thing. And I, I hope he is making those guys clockwork orange style fucking sit with their eyes forced open, watching the video analysis of that game because they, they need to know how fucking shocking they were, and they need and they need to put this right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, their happens or not remains to be seen. So, that's thanks for that's cathartic review of Manchester United 2 Liverpool 1 until next time up the really starting to not give a fuck about anything Reds <laughs>